Welcome back, leaders, to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. I'm Brad Lominick. I'm not Ray, but I'm stepping in for Ray to host this episode. I want to set things up for you and get straight to the content, the meat, the meat and potatoes uh, that are going to help you as a leader. And uh, we're continuing this two-part series on the Unstoppable Church, especially during this season of COVID, and of uncertainty, of turmoil. It's, it's a tough time to lead. Uh, in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with Pastor Ray and several of the team from Bayside Church on the Unstoppable Church, talking about reopening, talking about tips. You know, this next 60 days, as Ray talks about, is going to be uh, quite difficult for all of us to lead. So this is going to be practical, helpful. Put your seatbelt on, buckle up, get your moleskin out. We want you to learn. We want you to get better. And here we go. Unstoppable Church, part two. Everybody, welcome. We are really glad to have you all join us today. And I could not be more excited about this. Um, The whole world is going through a pandemic. um, And we are talking about the unstoppable church and it dawned on me this week that there is one topic that is almost another pandemic itself and and it is scorching this land and nobody's talking about it and if we don't get this the church will not be unstoppable in any way shape or form and that is the fact that there is a there is a global pandemic hitting homes and marriages um here are just Four quick headlines from today. COVID-19 is killing the soulmate model of marriage. That's wrecking relationships. Um, The pandemic is destroying my marriage, psychology today. Um, Here's another one. COVID-19, couples in quarantine, only 18% are satisfied with their relationship. In other words, over 80% of Americans are going, this is not working for people. This is a pandemic. Um, Divorce rates are on the rise amid the pandemic. And two two hours ago, this was just, just as we expected, coronavirus is destroying marriages everywhere and divorce is on the rise. This is a national tragedy. Nobody's talking about this. And so we thought we would take one shot and dive in to a deep dive. And it isn't very often in life where you get your first choice, okay? And my first choice to have a conversation about this was Paula Virginia Friesen. Um, I don't know any other couple like them. Uh, They have, first of all, welcome. Glad you all are here. Um, Little bit of background. We've been friends for... 40 years? Yes, longer than we're willing to admit we've been alive. Um, You've been married for? 44. 44 years, married and in ministry. I know your kids, um, they are walking with God. They're all off parole now, so we're feeling better about that. Um, they, when somebody asked me, friends asked me about, you You always bring these people into Bayside or conferences. I, I think every five conference you've been at. And they go, why? I said, because they're simply the best marriage and family people in the country that, that I know. And, um, and I just, you have built family camps, I speak at all those things too, and I've never seen anybody run run anything that had the impact on families. You speak on marriage all over the place. Um, this year's got to feel weird for you guys because the last I checked, you speak about forty eight weekends a year around the world. So this has been like a change up. Um, you uh, you have taught psychology courses on this stuff. You have um, you have books out, Paul. I love this title: "Loving Your Wife Like Christ." When you ain't no Jesus, and I know you, and this is a very appropriate title. Uh, before you say the date, twenty twenty one questions. Um, I am so glad you could join us. Thank so, you so much. thank you. This conversation. So I just think here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dive right into it. Okay, COVID is leading to a divorce pandemic. Um, 
What's going on? Well, I think COVID has intensified everything in a marriage relationship. So there are some underlying issues. We had a couple we were counseling. He traveled five days a week and they had two teenage daughters. They're teaching him homeschool. And they're sort of in a rhythm. It's working. COVID hits. He's home working out of the house every day. And he's a management guy. He decides he can help his wife do homeschooling better. And so now he starts telling her what she's doing wrong, how she could do it. And uh, it's not going well. And finally, she says, is there any way you could get on the road again? Because you being home is killing us. Well, what it was is changing their rhythm and intensifying some of the struggles that were underlying. Hmm. And if the adage is true that absence makes the heart grow fonder, (laughs) (laughs) right now it's probably overexposure causes the heart to sort of lose its fervor. And I think as typical Americans, especially with most homes with dual working parents and children that are on a busy schedule, we're often just tag teaming it and actually not building our relationship in marriage because we simply don't have the time. And unfortunately, that means that we also aren't developing the tools that we need if we had the time. Suddenly, we have the time, but a lot of marriages don't have the tools. And so they are faced with not really knowing how to communicate, having amplified the cracks in their marriage already, which were manageable when they didn't spend much time together. But now in this time of overexposure, the cracks have just widened and really caused a lot of people to ask the question, why, why are we married in the first place? This just isn't what I want it to be. And, and then they're coming to you. Yep. All right. What do you, what do you do? Well, one of the things that we've been saying is, you know, look for the silver linings in this thing. Like, what are some things that are available now that normally aren't? Uh, often, uh, this is a generalization, but a wife will say, oh, I, I just don't feel emotionally connected. We just need more time. And well, now you have some more time. So use that time to take some more walks, to talk. Or the husband says, you know, we're always so busy. We never have time for physical intimacy. Well, now you have time. Take some time for that. Carve it aside. Uh, you have time to maybe go out and do some recreational things or do some fun things. We have basically renovated every house in our Every room in our house, I'm ready to get on the road again. You know, uh, there's time to do those things that often we have put off. Yep. And I think it also has really surfaced, as I said a moment ago, the cracks in our marriage. But I'm going to press that a little bit more personally and say it's really amplified the cracks in myself. So I could live with a level of selfishness because it wasn't in my face every day and it wasn't in Paul's face every day. We're on the road, we're speaking, we're pouring ourselves out. We love what we do. We love doing it together. But without all of those distractions really to fill up our time or outlets for our passion, suddenly it's the two of us. And I'm confronted with my own selfishness in ways that I was unaware of the depth of it, to be really very honest. Yeah, which is just an answer to prayer that finally she's really coming to <laughs> Yeah, no good. And so I would say that the, the spiritual side of this is, I think that this is a great opportunity for us to do some resetting, for there to be some pruning in our own hearts. So for many couples, when they come in for counseling or when they come, when they Zoom in for counseling these days, we'll press them to identify ways that they've sinned against each other, which often, again, we don't, we just don't take care. We just keep moving forward. If we say a cursory, I'm sorry, and move on, but the wound is left. 
So for many couples, even the thought of so much time together, having it be good is relatively impossible because they've got such a backlog of resentments or grievances or hurts or disappointments. And so again, we just say, let, let God speak into each of your hearts individually and identify what you need to confess to your spouse where you see that you are selfish or where you see that you've been very insensitive or you see that you've neglected, because even though we have massive amounts of time together, we're not necessarily together because of technology, because of children, because of all sorts of other things. There are ways that we can still avoid dealing with heart issues. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to cover a whole bunch of topics with you too. Differences, emotional affairs, protecting your marriage, um, the parenting, um, the integrity safeguards, um, why couples lose passion over time, all that stuff. So I'm going to kind of rapid fire, throw a bunch of stuff at you. Um, the, the first thing I want to say is this. I know you guys, we've known each other for a long time, helped raise each other's kids. In fact, you all came in, you've been with my, uh, my daughter and her boyfriend. And, and so one of my questions is this, share a time when you had a kid go off the rails. <laughs> that ever happened to you? Were your children perfectly? They woke up in the morning and said, hello, mother and father. What can I do to serve God with you today? Or what happened? No, basically they've done that every morning. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, would you open the word just a little longer to us for us today? No. Uh, you know, we're so thankful. All three of our daughters love the Lord and are following him and serving him. Uh, and uh, But there have been times where, we always say our, our children are in a much better place in our parenting. Uh, fortunately, they all met Christ uh, in a deep, deep personal level when they were in high school, and, and they've really lived that out ever since. But uh, one of the times our daughter was 14 years old and in our home, we had, you can't individually date till you're 16. And we were speaking at a parenting conference one day and, and she so said, you're she speaking at a parenting conference out of town, out of town, uh, you know, a couple hours away. And, and Carrie, our oldest daughter said she wasn't feeling well. Could she stay home? We said, sure. We called her a couple of times during the day and she didn't answer. And, and so she's just struggling with a bit of a hardness of heart right then. And so the next day, uh, Virginia is crying Sunday morning. And uh, this guy's younger sister was best friends with our younger daughter. And so Julie, our youngest daughter, came in and said, Mom, are you crying because you found out that Carrie snuck out and had a date with Chris last night? <laughs> All of a sudden, her tears stopped. Cats out of the bag. <laughs> and uh, we we're just devastated. She had gone out with this guy, lied to us about where she was. And uh, so it was late at night. We called you. I remember that the three hour difference, it had to be one in the morning. Your when, time. when you called us back, it was one in the morning. We said, call us back no matter what time it is. <laughs> there's something really difficult that we've got to get some advice. Yep. On. yep. So Ray said, what's going on? And we told him the whole story and he said, is that what you're so devastated about? He said, I thought she'd run away or was pregnant or something big. He said, that's what you're so upset about? Oh, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, she's <laughs> dealing drugs and has yeah, got a gun. Exactly. So that was kind of a low moment for us. We weren't really sure how to navigate it. And again, it was mostly because of the hardness of her heart and the deception. And we asked Ray for counsel. And he said, listen, he said, just tell her she needs to shape up, get in with the family line, or you'll find a place for her to live. Now, you don't give that advice to just anyone, right? <laughs> No. And, and I actually thought I said, you know, you have other kids in the house yeah. 
at some point they need to know what the rules are and they need to learn that actions have consequences. So lay some things out. So the next morning we, uh, but I knew she wasn't leaving your house. We got her up. We said, Carrie, this is a deal that you've either got to, uh, you have a choice. You can live in our house, live by our guidelines and rules, or we'll find another place for you to live. She said, could I think about it? (laughs) (laughs) And she went to her room for two hours. And at the end of two hours, she came back. She said, I'm in. And uh, we've had a little bumps in the road along since then, but that was really a watershed time. Yep. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. They, yeah. And she's now married to a pastor. Yep. Um, and evidently, her prison record didn't count against her. No, so this is a good thing in the church. Um, well, let me ask this. Uh, every couple I know, you know, you go, how are you doing? Fine. The... What are things you two have struggled with and had to work through? In our own marriage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, uh, it's interesting. Both of us came from really strong Christian homes. And in the early years of marriage, the number one issue was our in-laws. And we never saw that coming because we both had great families. But families compare each other a little bit. And uh, I really never had left home. I, uh, if there's a problem with my mom and Virginia in some way, I always defend my mom. Oh, that's not what she meant. You don't understand my mom. Her heart's always good. And just, I didn't realize it, but I was always putting Virginia down and elevating my mom. And eight years into marriage, a good friend said, when are you going to love Virginia more than your mom? And I said, you're crazy. I do. And she said, no, I've watched, he said, I've watched you for eight years. No matter what it is, you defend your mom. And uh, that was just a watershed time for us. Uh, so we worked uh, through that, but that was a pretty big issue early in the marriage, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I would say that probably the number one ongoing issue, which will not be resolved this side of heaven, is that we are temperamentally wired so differently. Paul is an extremely gifted visionary, and I love that. I respect that. I honor that. I envy that in some ways he sees things that nobody else sees. And I love that about him. I just didn't know that it came with incredible amount of chaos, <laughs> messiness, lack of order. And I'm a person temperamentally that likes order. And I honestly assume before we got married that as long as I married a godly Christian man, which he was and is, that I would have a man who also loved order. They just thought that's how they came. You know, if he loved Jesus, he'll make the bed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and pick up his clothes. Exactly. <laughs> and fix the, fix the washer. <laughs> yeah. So as I've often said, um, I believe everything in a home has a home, and it should be in that home unless you're using it. And when you're done using it, you put it back to its home. And to me, that is how life makes sense, and it's how the Bible says you should live. <laughs> I married a man who believes everything is homeless, but I didn't know that until after I married him. And I'd go in the room, and the hammer would be there that he had just hung a picture, and it'd be sitting there in the middle of the living room floor. I, I, why is the hammer here? Oh, yeah, I was just using it. Did you think about putting it back where it goes? He goes, it goes somewhere. It was honestly a mystification to him that life had that kind of order. That's a huge temperament difference. I'm energized by people. Paul is drained by people. I thought as a pastor, he would always sign up to be with people because he's the shepherd of the flock. And that to me meant I love God's people because I just want to be with him all the time. So when he would make excuses for not being, or he'd finish speaking and he would disappear, I had no biblical way to defend that in my mind but to think 
something's wrong with him. I'm what they call a professional extrovert. That means I act like I like you, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, I thought we were friends. (laughs) But it means I can do something in a large group, but it's draining to me, especially to be in a small group. I would rather speak to 2,000 people than be in a small group with 10. And uh, it just took us a while to do that. And I think the thing that's helped us is I have so much respect for Virginia's difference. I mean, if I weren't married to her, we wouldn't have friends. I mean, she invites people over. She connects with people so well. Um, And yet there are some parts of my temperament that help us expand and do things that we normally wouldn't have done. And it's the respect that makes the difference. Yeah, that and a vision that our differences can make us better or they will make us bitter. And we chose the route by God's grace that we would be stronger and better if we allowed our differences to complement each other rather than to compete with each so, other. So let me dig in this a minute because thousands of people listen to this and they're going, oh man, I'm married. We got our own. My wife was so frustrated about how different we are. She made a list. It's a page and a half. It is Ray's a late night person. I'm an early morning person. You know, the Ray likes, you know, hamburgers playing. I like it with everything on. You know, I like to stop and smell the roses. Ray's driving so fast. He runs over them. They, uh, you know, late at night, I want conversation. Late at night, Ray wants something other than conversation. Um, she's got this massive, massive list. And everybody that's listening goes, I have a massive list and it's the differences in those things that are driving me crazy, mm-hmm. making me frustrated, filling me with resentment and causing me to want to get out. Mm-hmm. What do they do? Well, two things. The first is this really look for ways to appreciate what they do. One, uh, we need to find a registration slip for a car. I know Virginia will know right where it is. Uh, I, I don't even know how to file. It just isn't part of who I am. So I, you really do look for ways to affirm. Uh, the second area in this is uh, not that you look for ways just to affirm, but I just lost the second area. And the second area would be. <laughs> <laughs> you can think of the second area. While I say tying this back into COVID, talk about amplifying the differences, these very temperament things that we're talking about which we were, could manage when we weren't together very often. Now that we're together all the time, they have become larger than life. And that's discouraged many, many people from thinking, how can we ever bridge these gaps? So I think that's really true. One is step back and say, wait a minute, different isn't wrong. And if you're on the position that the way you do it is the right way to do it, then you're probably a one on the Enneagram and you probably are going to bring a lot of tension and demand into your marriage, which requires that your spouse... It's made in your image, which is unbiblical, by the way. So I think it really is looking for where are the places that your strength and my strength can work together? And how do I not make a mountain out of what is really a molehill? It's a relatively insignificant thing. And I think that's just by stepping back and downsizing. It's asking the question, in five years, is this really going to make a difference? Even in one year, is this going to make a difference? Some of the hills that the couples die over who come in to see us are so ridiculously small that they've gotten blown up into a monstrous size that makes it feel like there's nothing they can do with it. But I think taking, taking a step back and having a reality check can be really helpful there. Because that second thing that I forgot to mention was when you understand the differences, it allows you to sacrificially love each other. Hmm. And so um, 
I don't think there's any need to pick up clothes off the floor. I think it's a good place to leave them because they're partially <laughs> worn, not really worn. They're not really dirty. They're not really clean. It bothers Virginia. So I pick up my clothes. And what I'm saying is I love you because it's important to her. And when we have differences, it, if we didn't have differences, it wouldn't allow us to love each other. Yep. And sacrifice and love are always connected Certainly the fullest sacrifice. That's a good phrase because that's not, that's not generally what, how most people define right. love. Right. Sacrifice and love are connected. Right. So if, if, if I love playing golf, Virginia hates playing golf, I say, I'll take you playing golfing with me. That's not love. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I know I shouldn't have used that <laughs> illustration. Yeah, you want to come up with something <laughs> better. <laughs> but if I say, I'll cancel my tea time, I'll go shopping with you. That's love. No, that's not love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next. People, question. we better find a new <laughs> subject for illustrations here. Well, let me let me back at one. Uh, let me make a comment on this because we've talked about this for a long time. We've taught together occasionally, and because Carol and I are polar opposites, and you guys are in some ways. And I always felt like if both of us are identical, one of us is not necessary. And and I think if we're interested in personal transformation as opposed to everybody just telling us how amazing we are 24 seven personal transformation can come from getting better. And that can happen by being married to somebody different because I mean, I have grown as a husband. I have slowed down. I've got way better relationship with people and my kids, all that stuff primarily as a result of being married to somebody that's different from me. And Carol has traveled the world, you know, has had insane adventures. She probably wouldn't have never stepped up and tried. And so we're probably both that one plus one sometimes can equal 10,000. Well, it's been fun being in your home last couple of days, talking to your kids. And, and um, one of the things that's come out, just saying, how would you like your marriage to be like your parents? And we Oh, you asked them that? We'll talk about how they didn't want it. But anyway, how they wanted it. They said, our dad is just an incredible visionary. And our mom is so supportive of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. It's not who she Mm -hmm. is. She's Mm -hmm. not on stage. She's not the limelight. But she is so supportive. And then they said, and when there are things that mom feels strongly about, we've seen dad change his course because he knows that's what is going to help mom. I remember a time you talked to us that you were on the fast track in ministry going up and up and up and uh, you contracted twins and you were going to have four under four. That's right. And you were going to move. By the way, those of you listening, Carol and I had two boys, surprise, twins, four kids under four. And you came Duck to us. Duct tape, volume, all that stuff. Was really because up. you were going to be going to a new town where you knew no one. And Carol, and you came to us and Carol said, I don't think I can do it. I'm afraid you'll be traveling all the time. I'll yep. have no network. And you said, okay, I won't take it. And uh, that was huge because you're saying, okay, you value and need the network where we are now. And I'm willing to not take that job in order to meet you. Yeah. To misquote a verse accurately. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole and loses his family? Yeah. So I just think that I would, at the end of the day, all of you listening that are in leadership of anything, at the end of the day, 
Uh, Bayside Church. I started it. I love this place. I love Thrive. I love all this kind of stuff. Our staff regathered this morning for the first time in five and a half months. D- you know, 350 people during worship, tears are streaming on my face. I love this church. I love this ministry. But at some point, I'm no, there, there is a day where I'm no longer here and they will forget me in three seconds, but I will still have my wife and I will still have my kids. And those are the people that are around for life. Absolutely. So, Ah, huge. Yeah. It's so huge. that kind of perspective. Okay. So the differences thing, let me go out, let me go out in a different way. Cause I've heard you talk about this before. You're going fundamentally men and women want different things from marriage. They, and they evaluate whether it's good or bad based on like you talk to any, any guy on the planet and go scale of one to 10. How's your marriage? The guy's like nine, 10. Great. Ask, ask his wife two. <laughs> So there's obviously differences in what they want out of a marriage. Yeah, and it's interesting when, when uh, Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, it's not very extensive, actually. But he has husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church, uh, build into her as a spiritual leader and help her become more radiant. Wives, uh, submit to your husband, respect your husband. It, it, it's pretty compact. Uh, I was just thinking of a couple we're involved in right now where um, – they came to us and the man had gotten involved on the internet with a woman, just become friends. And then they started talking, becoming closer friends. And then she had a need for some money for her car and he sent her some money. And, and well, to make a long story short, when they came in, he had given this woman $200,000 and never met her. on the an internet, internet, never met her. And Can I get this guy's address. You know, <laughs> wow. And, we said, how did you do that? And I'll never forget, with just a sullen face, he said, she told me she liked me. She thought I was great. She really respected the sort of man I was. And my wife is always on my case. So she respected him. She respected him. And that's where $200,000 went. They never met. But he so yearned for a woman to say, I respect you. I appreciate you. You're really a great guy. Mm. And then there was the other couple where the wow. um, the wife who was married to a really pretty decent guy, good looking, good job, dedicated to the family. They were raising four children together, very successful in business. And she had an affair with the pool cleaning guy. And when they came in for counseling, we said, what was it that turned your head? And she said, he had time for me. He'd come to clean the pool once a week and... We started talking very casually. First, it was just about pool things, but then it became about family things, and then it became about marriage things, and pretty soon, she said, I never expected that would happen, but I felt cared for. And she said, my husband has provided well for us, but I have felt really neglected in our marriage. So these two counseling situations really identify what we think are the major differences between men and women as they come into marriage and their expectations and their needs. And that's obviously why we think they're addressed in Ephesians 5, which we think is related back to Genesis 3, and we won't go into that right now. We think it's all connected to the fall and what will be the predisposition of men and women, that men are going to have a tendency to acquiesce or to just not lead well, and women are going to have a tendency to control and manipulate. So this Ephesians 5 passage really addresses the longings of our hearts. And I don't. we haven't had one couple in our office where a man 
has not struggled with feeling disrespected. Dobson said it years ago, every, mar every marital discord has its roots in a seething sense of disrespect somewhere in the marriage. And I think for men especially, there's this huge sensitivity to, do you respect me? Which translates to them, do you love me? And it comes through in how I talk to you which is only 7% of communication, 93% is body language. So again, the COVID factor here is huge because now my body language is constantly on display and I roll my eyes, I sigh, I put my hands on my hips. The tone that I use, all of those things will either communicate respect or disrespect. So, so if I'm hearing you right, I, I love getting stuff down into like, give me a simple principle here. It sounds like you're saying, most men deeply want to be, they want respect. Most women want relationship right. and they miss each other coming and going. Yeah. And a lot of men don't feel respected, but they come in and go, well, I'll give her respect. And in a sense, they're missing each other on this constant. Right. And a lot of men, I believe, if they're not respected at home, they gravitate towards somewhere they're respected. I think okay. people in ministry are vulnerable to this because they may leave home and their wife says, why didn't you take the trash out? Why don't you do this? Why did you do that? And then they go to a church and somebody in the church is saying, oh, you're so wonderful. Your sermon on Sunday was phenomenal. You must be the best husband to have. And, and it just goes on. Well, that's dangerous because you're getting what you yearn for, but you're not getting it from your spouse. That's right. That's right. That's and right. the same thing for wives. Oh. Yep. And so um, you have been in the academic world. You've been in the Christian camping world. You have been in the church world on staff. You are in the New England Patriots world. You chaplain to the married couples there. You lead a Bible study for New England Patriots couples. Is this universal in every setting? Absolutely. And not only in our country, but internationally. Uh, we speak in Uganda, for instance, where the women are carrying the water. They're doing all the work. It seems the men are sitting on the side of the road, drinking beer and just chatting. And, and uh, yet when you talk to them about this, that the men don't feel respected, they're nodding their heads. <laughs> and you think, wow, you're the dictator, but they at home, they're not respected. And the wives certainly don't feel cherished. And the interesting thing is that, Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Stop. It doesn't say if she is acting respectful to you. And it says, wives, submit and respect your husband, not if he's always listening to you. It's, it's in the words of the New England Patriot coach, Bill Belichick, do your job. My job is to love Virginia well to know her, to be a student of her, to know what makes her come alive, and then do those things with her or for her. And whether she reciprocates or not, that's not the issue. The issue is my job is to love her. But what we find is when, we, when I love her well, she tends to be more respectful. When I feel respected by her, I tend to love her better. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. In fact, I think most marriages get log jammed exactly at that place because each spouse expects that the other spouse should do the right thing and that will free them to do the right thing in return. Yep. And we just say, one of you needs to decide that you're going to step up to the plate and be the adult. Know that you're doing this as unto the Lord. That's what scripture says. You can't wait for your spouse to do the right thing. I, like, on the day of judgment, I don't think that the Lord is going to say, so how did you do in 
fulfilling what I've asked you to do for Paul, I don't think it's going to fly for me to say, well, I would have respected him, but you should have seen the clothes he left on the floor. I mean, it was just so hard. I don't know why you gave me a husband like that. Yep. I don't think that's going to fly. Yep. And I think God is going yep. to meet us in those places. I don't think we can do it without the power of the Holy Spirit in us and without a surrendered heart to him. Yep. So um, everybody listening to this is in settings um, like this. Uh, they, this has happened. This happens almost everywhere. Every company in lap on the New England Patriots uh, happens in churches. I was the interim uh, senior pastor at Willow Creek. I um, got back there and I went, wow, oh, these are great, great people, but they're suffering because evidently some boundaries were crossed. Um, talk a little bit about integrity and leadership, integrity and in ministry, and how to protect your, how to basically how to protect your marriage, your kids, your, your church, whatever it is. What do you guys do about that? What advice do you have? A lot of people listening to this either need, I need this personally, but I've also got to implement things for other people. Well, it really follows on what we were just talking about. Because uh, as a, a husband, a, a man, if I'm feeling this woman respecting me and really poor, telling me how great I am, I sort of like to hang around her because that makes me feel good. And uh, we have to have some pretty... Uh, what we consider strong boundaries about that. And the simplest way I would say it is if I, as a married man, start looking forward to being with another woman other than my wife, I need to curtail or end that relationship. Hmm. It might be a secretary. It might be, I may be on the worship team and she's on the worship team. If I look forward to going to worship because I'm going to sing a duet with her, I need to get off the worship team. Yep. It's just being ruthless about that. I personally, um, I counsel a woman once and then I refer her out. Uh, I don't have lunch with women by myself. I don't ride in a car. There are just some boundaries that we have decided on. And a huge one is no secrets. So That's good. I don't have passwords that are protected that Virginia doesn't know. I I don't meet with somebody and she says, how'd your day go? And I leave out a few people because I know that'll make her upset. Uh, that, that thing of honesty is so critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think, especially in Christian marriage, there's nothing you should be more vigilant about protecting besides your heart for the Lord than the marriage vows that you made. Mm-hmm. And it's a very disposable view in our culture. Our, the culture around us has no problems with us crossing whatever boundaries. In fact, they will criticize them. When you look at what happened to the vice president, Mike Pence, for the boundaries that he has to protect his marriage, he was ridiculed by much of America. Oh, yeah. But I'm just telling you, honoring your marriage vows is not only critically important to the way our life is lived out, but it is hugely impactful to the generations that follow. I think one of the reasons that many of the millennial generation have given up on marriage and have chosen to shack up is because they haven't seen marriage work. They've seen a lot of train wrecks of marriages, right? So we have really been very, very intentional um, about protecting our marriage because we value it so highly. We know God values it so highly. We know it's hugely valuable to our kids, to our grandkids, and to our ministry. So we just don't the enemy is, I quoted this earlier today, but the enemy is more crafty than any other. He is more crafty today than ever. And because of all of the technology and things that make it so easy to violate yeah. standards and to minimize them, we're masters. Yeah. We are absolute masters at rationalizing behavior. Hmm. 
And I would just say, not only do you have to be strong and committed to those, but be a part of, be a part of a small group, have people in your life who will call you out. Not many of us like that. We've been in the uncomfortable position of challenging somebody who we saw a repeated pattern of meeting with somebody they shouldn't have been meeting with. We lost a friendship, even though I think we were very careful in how we handled it, but they weren't interested yep. in being in the right place at the right time. Yep. Oh, and those of you that are going, boy, has, has Bayside had to deal with this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have 350 staff, gazillions of people running around here. We finally spent six months, our core team spent six months saying, um, if something's valuable, you protect it. You know, mm-hmm. like everybody listens to this goes, hey, when I'm going to parking lot, I lock my car. Why? If something's valuable, you actually protect it. Okay. If your marriage and your integrity are valuable, you set up some safeguards to protect it. You sort of lock it up. So um, we came up with a yellow card like soccer. <laughs> and and it is and you can get a copy of this going to our Thrive uh, website. Uh, the we we have a yellow card and it is thirteen things on the yellow card and it is it is basically really just smart boundary things to protect your marriage and your integrity and our church and it is thirteen things you know you will not do this not do this not do this all of this stuff and kind of a thou shalt not card and but we gave everybody a whole stack and we said if you see anybody. Okay. And you're just concerned about him. Just go hand him a yellow card. You don't need to say anything. Okay. And, um, and so we've tried to put some things in place that, that would help with that. Um, the, let me ask this. Uh, you're, you work, you've been working with the New England Patriots for years. Same problems in wealthy millionaire pro athletes as everywhere else. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the tight end catches the winning touchdown and he comes home and his wife says, you know, you need you take the garbage out. You didn't take the garbage out. And, you know, he's thinking, do you know who I am? I just scored the winning touchdown. And she's thinking, yeah, you're my husband and take the garbage out. And so the same things are there. I mean, we see men who are superstars. I mean, I did a wedding. I won't mention any names, but this nationally known person, when I got to the part in the wedding, he was a groomsman where I talked about, that wives are often controlling of their husbands and husbands need to serve their wives. When I got to the controlling part, he just glanced over at his wife and gave the look, like <laughs> listen to the pastor because you'd think, Oh, they have everything, but he still needs to feel respected and she still needs to feel mm-hmm. cherished. Uh, in-laws is I think the number one issue we find in NFL players that they're struggling with. Wow. The whole extended family dynamic. It's the yep. reverse problem that many of us have, right? Yep. But it's still, it's an interference. It's an expectation. We see a lot of players who end up secretively siphoning off money to extended family members that as a couple, they haven't agreed they should send their money that way, but he can't really stand up to mama uh, or yep. auntie or whoever. And so there's all sorts of places, again, for there to be secrecy. And unfortunately, with pro athletes, they have permission to do anything, Yes, right? If they're yep. good enough, who yep. cares? But we are so encouraged with the number of couples that we've worked with for now 22 years, there really are quite a few of them who have genuine hearts for the Lord and who genuinely want to protect their marriages. Mm-hmm. They've got a hard job to do that. I will tell you. No kidding. Yeah. Oh yeah. The proximity and popularity of those yeah. folks. Uh, let me ask this right now. Everybody listening to this is going, I am way busier than I was. When COVID hit mm-hmm. mid-March, I said, this is going to be awesome. 
Okay. I got weekends free. I shoot the sermon early. I'm going to clean my garage. I'm going to clean, I'm going to clean my, everybody I know is going, had this list of things I'm going to do. And then it all got blown away and everybody has been frantically busy. Now parents are going, oh, schools aren't opening in a whole bunch of states. And therefore I got schools. Now I'm having to be their full-time teacher and do everything else I was doing. Massive stress. So here's my, what advice would you give to people about sort of taking care of themselves and their marriage and their ministry and all that stuff? Great question. One, I think just asking the question and determining that you're going to be intentional. Mm -hmm. I said to Paul, if at the end of all of this, we look back and say, oh man, we blew it. We missed some opportunities that hopefully by God's grace are never going to come around again in our lifetime. So I think the silver lining of the pandemic is that it actually has offered, given us some spaces that we previously didn't have. But as we look at it right now, we have a da- two daughters that are married and we have grandchildren and they're all juggling jobs and schooling their children at home because their schools are not open. So one of the things that we really encourage couples is if you haven't developed spiritual disciplines of really spending time in the word and with the Lord, make that your top priority. We know it sounds impossible, like get up a little bit earlier, stay up a little bit later, put the kids in quiet time, but do something that gets you in God's word. We, we, can't, we can't go through any times without it, but I think especially these times, it's been our lifeline. I think number two carve out time that you really are getting exercise or renewal for your body, soul, mind, that whole thing. Paul and I have been walking five miles every single day. We're not juggling little kids and all the rest. So we know that's easier said than done for us, but most of us can figure out some way that we can carve out time, get outside without your mask. If you're allowed to breathe the fresh air, do something or walk with the whole family, bike with the whole family, do something that addresses physical needs. I'm seeing just a lot of people who are literally vegging in front of screens yes. all day long. It's not good yep. for us. Yeah, it's exactly right. So my, my last question, uh, well, I have two last questions. The first one is this. I want to ask a church question. Okay, uh, We have a vast amount of Christian leaders listening to this. I was at a church one time. I was the youth pastor years and years ago, and I was there for seven years. I didn't hear one sermon on marriage, not one, not one of the family in seven years. They had no ministries to build marriages, nothing like that. Well, fast forward that now there are 360,000 churches in this country. I know very few of them that actually have an active ministry to connect couples and build marriages. Okay. And at the same time, it's an epidemic where these homes are falling apart. Okay. If you could give, what are one or two things you wish every church in America would start doing right now? Part of this is I'm convinced that if any church in a community started building the homes in the community, they would own that community. Oh, there's no question. We were on staff at a church for nine years. And really during those nine years, the, the whole atmosphere of the church changed. Uh, we did things as whole families. We had a couple's marriage class every Sunday for nine years, a parenting class every Wednesday for nine years. And this just become warp and woof of the church. Yep. And as we travel nationally, we'll go to a church and big churches and say, let us see your staff. And they have a men's ministry and a women's ministry and a junior high and senior high. You go all the way down. You go, so you don't have anyone who does marriage. Oh, yeah, we speak on that once a year. 
mm-hmm. and they feel that's it. Yep. And I go, why would you have a woman's ministry? I mean, they're already so spiritual. The men are feeling them that are <laughs> far behind. Why would you encourage them more? You know, get a marriage ministry. I think hiring somebody or even uh, we have some churches that they don't have enough money to hire it, but they'll bring us in once a month or something to do an evening. Yeah. Just start making marriage more of a focus. I had a woman come up to me today right after the session who just happened to be walking by, not even part of your staff. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I wish... I had heard this and my husband had heard what you said. I don't think I'd be divorced today if we had. And that happened this morning. That after happened this morning. Yep. And I just think uh, there are so many churches that are making assumptions. And part of it, frankly, is modeling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this may be overstating, but the number one thing that pastors, if they're married with children, do is demonstrate that you have a really solid marriage and that your priority is your marriage and your kids. Yep. And, um, because if it's not working for you, others get pretty discouraged. And I don't mean perfect by any means. And I don't mean there's any guarantee. But I think we say, this is my this is my first ministry, is my wife and my kids. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is interesting because pastors are under a lot of pressure these days. And everybody, every single person in every church in America is in one of three stages. They're either wise, foolish, or evil. And, and a pastor who prioritizes his marriage or her marriage and their kids, the wise people in the church will affirm that the foolish and evil people, they will get criticized for it. And And can I just say, uh, because we have such a burden for children of ministry couples. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We had a young man come in and talk to me and he said, my dad was known to be the finest pastor. Everybody looked up to him, but he was a horrible husband and a horrible dad. Wow. And he said, everybody at church, church would come up after, oh, must be so good to be part of your family. What a lucky boy you are. And he is smiling and saying the right things. But this kid doesn't want to have anything to do with anything. Because dad is one thing on Sunday, totally different thing on Monday. And I think one of the greatest compliments we can give somebody is they're the same person on stage as they are at home. That there's not a persona up there. It's very different. And our kids, the dissonance in that is the most difficult thing for our kids to deal with. So so the the last question I have is this. Um, Give us hope. This story is somebody where you're going, they were on the rocks and now they're not. Other than you guys and my wife and I. (laughs) You know, we could talk endlessly, actually, about stories of genuine transformation, of restoration, of marriages that came back from affairs, from gambling addictions, you name it. All of the things that are problematic in our culture we've seen in our office. And we just have so We're going to actually be meeting with somebody in the next couple of days they came to us after actually a Thrive conference and she had just found out that he had been in a year-long affair. He worked at a church. He was involved with the Gallith church and it was devastating. But that meeting happened probably eight years ago and four years ago, we did a recommitment ceremony for them, which they named 
their resurrection ceremony. Mm. They said our marriage was dead, but it has been resurrected by the power of God. And they are walking their, their only child married, their grandchild is being raised in the faith. And it's just a beautiful story of redemption. Yep. And the, they have a plaque and it says, but God. And it comes out of Ephesians 2, and where it talks about we're born in sin, our wickedness. And then I think it's verse 4 says, but God. Yep. And that changes of God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. And then it talks about new life. Yep. And it sounds like the Sunday school answer, but it is true that when people have committed themselves to God, it has changed the whole thing. Yep. And that takes repentance. That's right. It takes owning your stuff, confessing before God. And then saying, with his power, I'm going to be a new man, new woman, and it changes. And we did a we did a, re a new marriage ceremony for a couple who had been divorced for five years. When they told their kids they were getting married, the kids were 10 and 12 or 8 and 10 at that time. They were jumping on the bed, and the kids said, Mom, Dad, this is what we've been hoping for every oh, day. And they said, this is the best day of, of our, our lives. Life. Oh, and I did gosh. the service for them. We're standing on the beach, and the matron or maid of honor is the daughter, and the best man is their son. And one of the most moving experiences because God had gotten a hold of their lives. Wow. Well, Paul and Virginia, thank you. The New England Patriots are very fortunate to have you. So it's just like I got up this morning. I was spending some time with God, and I felt like, as I said earlier, all of us, all of us in ministry right now, you're just putting out fires. Matter of fact, the whole West Coast and a lot of this country being on physical fire right now is almost a metaphor of what's going on. I mean, people have been set on fire. Both political parties mm -hmm. for the next 60 days are going to be intent on lighting their base on fire, demonizing the other side with a flamethrower, elevating fear as much as you can because fear causes donations to come pouring in. And... And I and I, I I went to bed last night thinking I'm going to spend the next sixty to eighty days putting out fires in people. And when I woke up this morning, God said to me, "Hey, instead of putting out fires, why don't you light some?" Mm -hmm. So we just started dreaming about all kinds of stuff, including what can we do to strengthen parents? What can we do to strengthen homes? And around here, what can we do to strengthen small business people? And, and so I, the, I am absolutely convinced that if leaders will figure out in their church how to light fires in homes and hearts that never go out, and even a small church, bring people in once in a while, whatever it takes to do that. I am convinced that what happened, as one person said, what happens in your house is going to be more important than what happens in the White House. So I want to say thank, thank you. You guys do such an amazing job. Thank you so much. Um, hey, if, now, if people want to connect with you, your ministry, and your resources, where do they go? Uh, all of our resources are available on Amazon or our website is himweb.org, H-I-M-W-E-B.org. That's right. And uh, those of you listening, Paula, Virginia, have been staying with us for a couple of days. We had a blast because we're good friends. Um, and, um, and so we're going to wrap this up now because Paul's got to go pick up his clothes. They're all over the floor. Now. So, <laughs> hey, everybody, God bless. Have a really good day. Glad to be with you. So, Thanks so much. Thank hey, you. Hey, first of all, um, you guys were awesome. Those of you still on the screen and everything, um, the, 
We, are there any questions that came in on the chat string, John Valinsky? I didn't see any. Um, let me check. Where's the guy with the ocean behind with the waves breaking? <laughs> you never know if that's a fake Why? scene or not. <laughs> waves are rolling in. I know. That's exactly right. So, so that is good. Um, the, hey, so. Oh, yeah. We got one question here, Ray. Yeah. Paul, why did you shave your beard? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, people thought he was Papa Smurf. Exactly. <laughs> or Santa. You, you know, I, uh, I started it just because we're not traveling. So I thought I'll let it grow. And then, of course, it kept growing and growing. We didn't travel. And uh, I did a wedding. And Virginia said, it's time to shave before you do the wedding. So the uh, day before the wedding, I shaved it all off. So. That was that was Tim from uh, Grace Chapel that asked that. Oh, Massachusetts. Uh, One of our friends. That's cool. Any other questions? Going, going. Let me let me wrap let me wrap this up with a story because it involves all of us. Um, I was Carol and I and our four very young kids were living in Chicago, and I was I was a professor at a university, two different graduate schools. I was writing, traveling, and speaking. And I was also over 800 churches for a denomination and everything they do with teenagers. And I actually loved all of it. Um, and then I went on, a, I, Carol and I were talking one day, this is all in Chicago and her parents are in California. And Carol said, I just wish my, our kids were growing up near my parents. And an offhand comment, and we just kind of moved on. And then, but I went out and I felt like God said to me, you better pay attention to this. Because if, if you, if you're not careful, in other words, you're a stronger leader than she is, and you're the visionary, you're going to get 20 years down the road in marriage. And, and she's going to look around and go, all we've ever done is what Ray wanted to do. And and so I'm processing that and you ran a family camp on Catalina Island forever and it you should take it back over and keep running it. Um, they, um, they're you and I, um, full disclosure, we speak at this campus at a Cove in Catalina and every Monday night we stole the boat and went to town late night after everybody went to bed and went out to a restaurant and we're sitting there processing this and it just dawned on me, you know what? I have to quit my job and move. And I went because I don't want Carol to spend the rest of her life going, if her dad died and mm -hmm. our grandkids never got to know him, that would have been a tragedy. And so we did that. I quit everything we were doing and, um, and we moved to the West Coast. And it, and, and it was interesting because uh, four months later, it's just Christmas morning. I get up in our home in Folsom. I look down and there in the living room on the couch is her dad and all four kids crawling all over him on Christmas morning and we had seven great years with them before he passed away and which we would never get back and if that hadn't happened she would have to carry that for the rest of her life so but you guys were instrumental in helping us think that through so the um so I actually think you put your family first and you do it wisely you have great memories. When you don't do that, you have a pile of regrets. Yeah.
So we hope this is helpful. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great day. Well, thanks again to Ray Johnston and the entire team at Bayside Church and the Thrive team. We want to keep you up to date, in the know, practical. So you'll be able to find many more resources at thriveconference.org. You can also watch some of the videos from webinars, recent webinars. You can find many more resources from past events at thriveconference.org. Please subscribe to this podcast if you would. Rate and review it. Tell your friends about it. We'll continue to bring you great interviews, conversations with not only Ray, but also with some of his friends from around the country and around the world who are leading and influencing at a major level. So until next time, thanks again for listening on behalf of Ray Johnston and the entire team. We'll talk to you again very soon.